0: So would you stand one last time, and I want to invite you to listen to the reading of the Word. John 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. My Father's house has many rooms, if that were not so. Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't. We don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? not sure how much clarity Jesus provided there this is the word of the lord you may be seated love thomas love philip love the disciples they are helpful and that we are we i mean the bible it has been talked about so much over the years the bible is such a bad propaganda book if it was a propaganda book it's just filled with so many moments like that doubt and what and why inclusions of large swaths of people not getting it not following jesus going the other way people getting it for a little while not being sure backing out people being so frustrated and angry at god they are lifting a middle finger to heaven i wasn't doing that it was this this is why many have commented that the bible is so fascinating and has captured the hearts and minds of so many It's because it just reeks of grit and dirt and blood and real life. Of course, this is what people do. And if Jesus really were the God of the universe, made flesh, like a core tradition and doctrine of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, which we believe, then it might be a bit hard to get to know him, to understand him to know what it means that he is the way and the truth and the life. We paused our regular flow of teaching series after First Seek, after spending a month of prayer and fasting to zero in on something that God brought up again and again and again in prayer spaces across our church during the month of January, which is an invitation to behold him, to keep our eyes just set on Jesus. And again, this is something that we should be doing all the time. We're a church, we're centered on Jesus, being apprentices of Jesus. But specifically to look at what are the things that Jesus says about himself. And so we just kind of went right to that, the way, the truth, and the life, this passage. And so over the last couple weeks, we've just been um, uh, trying to gaze upon him. Why does Jesus use these three descriptors to describe him? And there's all sorts of ways we could get into this. So many different uh, angles But going back to this word, behold, part of the reason that we wanted to do this and and peer into these three words is that what you behold, you will become. This is made clear to us in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, like it's like beholding the weight of God and the goodness of God, the love of God, all that God is. When we do this, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Paul is simply saying, what you behold, what you put your attention and your mind and your eyes to, will begin to shape you. We get very caught up in wanting to grow and wanting to be better people and developing better habits. That's what we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about, actually, is putting together a game plan for transformation and how we grow and a rule of life and really looking forward to it. But the reason why this is so critical to precede that six-week series is because if our eyes are not set on Jesus, we have no hope, really, of ultimately developing long-term better growth and habits what you give your attention to begins to affect you all of us who have ever like binge watched shows know this it begins to actually have effect on you and how you think if you were to audit your time you could begin to imagine oh i tend to dial into a pretty typical like vision of the american dream because every input in my life is reinforcing that both both proactively and passively We know this. It's like a truism of the, a, a true thing that exists in the world. What you behold, what you bring your attention to, will begin to shape you. And so, as followers of Jesus, we must be careful to continue to bring our eyes and our attention back to Jesus. Jesus has the way. Jesus has the way. What is so um, moving about that particular descriptor to me personally is that throughout um, my life, um, I have had the joy and the privilege of having people not just give me direction somewhere, not just, Tell me, oh, yeah, you should do that. That's the best way to achieve that. That's the best way to get there in your life, in your career. But to actually have someone walk with me. It's not just, yeah, take a right. I mean, what's the Rhode Island way we give directions here, right? It's like where the Bennys used to be, and then take a right at the fourth Dunkin' Donuts around the corner of the plaza that used to be called De Pasqua, like some, like, Cranston Italian name, but is now called something like... All the Rhode Islanders said, amen. The big pothole, yeah, where they covered that one up, but then there's a new pothole. You to take a left there. No, have you ever had someone where you're trying to get somewhere and they don't just tell you the directions? Like, you know, just follow me. How much peace comes over you? Anyone have of you just directionally challenged? Right, like think about the, the great peace. You're like, you're lost, you're a little disoriented. I don't know where to go. And someone's like, oh yeah, just follow close to me. And you're like, I pray that there's somebody who doesn't just like drive a million miles an hour. Come and I'll take you there. This is what Jesus does for us. He doesn't just give us advice and directions. He takes us by the hand and he leads us. And it's all true. He does not tell us about the way. He says he is the way. He is the way to knowing God. He is the way to knowing the Father. I was struck as I wrote that phrase on my sheet of paper a couple of weeks ago and thinking about this talk. It's a really simple talk, by the way. Just want to bring our attention. What it is to know God. When I wrote that out, I was like, what is it about the way in which Jesus brings us into greater knowledge of God? I think when we think about the phrase knowing God, do we think about a special sort of emotion or shivers down your back or some sort of like dreamy off the ground floating feeling or do we think about an intellectual experience or hearing a voice or a vision? This probably doesn't really need to be stated but like what Thomas is after here. What the disciples are after, what every poet and every songwriter, every scientist, every truth seeker to some degree has been after this. is like, what is it to know ultimate truth? What is it to know the divine? What is it to know God? And so this is obvious, I know, but you know, it's more complex knowing God than it is a person. Just as like knowing my neighbor is more complex than knowing a house or a book or a language. So a few thoughts on what it is to be taken by the hand of Jesus into the greater knowledge of the Father, greater access to God. First, you don't really know a living thing until you know its past history. And more importantly, how they will react and behave under certain circumstances. So example, someone who says, I know that dog, normally means more than just like, I've seen it before, but actually like, oh, I know kind of how it behaves. You can tell how to handle it. Like, oh, I know that dog. I wasn't going to tell this story, and then I realized my brother-in-law is not in the room, so I can tell this story. <laughs> Should I tell this story, Corey? Is that okay? My, gently. My brother-in-law, I won't tell you who he is just in case you haven't met him. Great dude. My sister-in-law, oh, the best. Love these guys. He was a little dog. He's growing on me. Not a big, like, small dog fan. I'm, like, in the Ron Swanson, Parks and Rec world of, of small dogs. Anyone know his opinion on small dogs, right? He's like, oh, that, that's, small dogs are basically cats, and cats are irrelevant. That's, like, the line of thinking. <laughs> Shout out to any cat. Calm down. Cats are okay. And they have this small dog, and this small dog has proceeded to bite my two-and-a-half-year-old three times? Oh, bitten all of them. Bitten Keller twice, but bitten all of my children. All of my children. Now, thankfully, it's not a proper dog, so it didn't do that much damage. (laughs) (laughs) It's growing on me. It's a little Chihuahua. Yeah, Chihuahua. It's little... I know this dog. I know this dog. I know how it will act. I know its past behavior. I know to keep my kids away from this little yapping cat dog. Knowing comes from some prior acquaintance with said dog, or seeing it play or not play so well with someone. When it comes to people, obviously it gets a bit stickier. Unlike dogs, like people don't actually reveal everything. I at least know, you know, I credit to this little scrapper of a dog, like it's shown its cards. People don't tend to show their cards, they don't reveal everything, they keep things in. Few days usually are not enough, like to get to know a person where they might be enough to actually get to know a dog, but you can spend years near a person and not really get to know them. few observations. The quality and the extent of our knowledge of other people depends more on them than us. Does this make sense? What they choose to reveal has a whole lot more to do with our knowledge of them. Our knowing them is more directly the result of their allowing us to know them than it is of our attempting to get to know them. Now, our attempting to get to know them can unlock something, but our knowledge of them is predicated on what they will actually open up and share with us about them. We can try and open up, we can try and be attentive, but it ends up ultimately being on them. So imagine, truly try to imagine with me now that you are about to be introduced to someone that you feel is above you, a hero. Shout out a hero, celebrity, somebody you just would die to meet. Celine Dion, didn't see that one coming. Alice what? Alice, Alex Eveshkin? Sorry, this is a football church. It's not a hockey. No, kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, wait, say the name one more time. Alex Ovechkin. Alex Ovechkin. How many people know Alex Ovechkin? Oh, there's some hockey people here. Amen and hallelujah. Go Bruins. Wayne Gretzky. That's all I got. Celine Dion. I did not see that. That wasn't real. Right, imagine this person who's like above you, right? Alex. Celine Right, whether it's like their rank or their intellect or their professional skill or their influence, the more conscious you are that they are somehow above you, unattainable, like, oh my gosh, a big deal, more than all of them you are, the more you'll likely feel that all you can do is let them take the lead in this interaction. Right? You come up to them, you're like, hello, Mr. Alex, Alex, Celine. She's somehow like, you always meet Celine on a boat, and she's singing a big song, you know. <laughs> Titanic reference, okay. Right, you're just feeling oh, that, that, that sense of like, okay, they're going to have to take initiative. I'm not going like to force myself upon them. Now, you obviously want to get to know this person. You really want, like, this would be amazing if we could cultivate a proper relationship. But we sort of realize that it is up to them to decide. It's clear that you have no claim on the friendship. Most likely, you aren't going to assume anything. Now, imagine they start to actually open up to you. Like, there's all of a sudden, like, they bring you into some adventure that they're going on or they ask for your opinion. Maybe you meet with their family or they're like, oh, I'd love to meet your family. You do something together. You create something together. They, like, encourage you. They see something in who you are. They're moving toward you. This is a good as good an analogy as any to describe what's going on with knowing God. When the creator of everything comes to you and begins to talk to you through words and truths and through the scriptures, when you hear that still small voice in the quiet, when you align yourself with how things are at the depth of reality and you begin to walk the way of Jesus and realize this way is divine, when you through community and the word of God, like you, you begin to open up about your brokenness and you don't feel the sort of shame and guilt that other people feel, when you begin to be swallowed by these teachings of forgiveness, like when you begin to experience, in other words, life with God, something fascinating happens, you begin to experience what it says in John is the life of the ages or eternal life. And it says this in John 17, three, now this is eternal life. Do you want to know what eternal life is as described in the scriptures? Not what you think it is. That that, That they know you, the only true God. This is eternal life, knowing God like knowing with him, walking with him. It echoes back to the garden in Genesis 1. It echoes forward to Revelation and the story of heaven coming, crashing into earth and everything being made right. This is what we're after. And we're told that not only is God actually opening his heart to us, making friends with us, he's he's even enlisting us. It's staggering. In John 15, we read, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. I don't just call you servants, I call you friends. First Corinthians three nineteen: we are coworkers in God's service. Next time someone asks you what you do, I'm a coworker, big guy upstairs. You would not be theologically incorrect. So what is the act of knowing God involved? J.I. Packer lists these out really concisely. One, listening to God's word and receiving it as the Holy Spirit interprets it in application to oneself. Two, noting God's nature and character as his word and work reveal it. Three, accepting his invitations, doing what he commands. And then four, recognizing and rejoicing in the love that he has shown us in approaching you and drawing you into his divine fellowship. This is how we receive the act of Jesus taking us by the hand and walking us to the Father. This is how we can embody and receive and be proactive and recognizing and seeing God going, no, 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 I'm not just going to tell you it's a right where the bennies used to be. I'm going to hop into my car. Why don't you just follow me? The Bible puts like flesh and grit and dirt and blood on these ideas by using four pictures of our relationship with God. Four like fascinating pictures that we don't have time to get into, but I want to list them out. The first one in Hebrews 12 and Matthew 7 is a son knowing his father. Image number two is a wife knowing her husband. Number three is a subject knowing his king. And lastly is a sheep knowing its shepherd. All of these analogies, son to father, wife to husband, subject to king, sheep to shepherd, all of them have this, this, this idea of looking towards the person who has power and care over Don't get hung up on the wife to husband one. This was, I know a couple of you are like, wait, but what about that one? This is a bride to a groom in in this, in the place where these images are written into. This is actually an unbelievably liberating picture. That's a different sermon. I don't have time for it. It is that sense of a person, this analogy, taking responsibility for the welfare of the knower. Seeing that person loved and cared for, all of these ideas of knowing God are made crystal clear for us in Jesus. We know God by knowing Jesus, right? We're told in John fourteen, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us, and all that God, all that God is is found in Him. We're told in Colossians one, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought in to fullness. This isn't an arrogant, meant to be an arrogant claim. This is simply the claim that like, actually all that we're looking for about truth and beauty is actually fully found in Jesus. We read, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile himself to all things. So to know Jesus is to know God. Packer goes on to say, knowing Jesus Christ remains as definite a relation of personal discipleship as it was for the 12 disciples when he was on earth. Like the Jesus who walks through these stories in the scriptures, walks with us knowing, like walks, sorry, walks with us in the same way now, taking us by the hand, And leading us and showing us what ultimate reality, what true beauty and goodness looks like. So when we read passages like, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. A classic. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble and hard and you will find rest. We can be assured that he does this now. He continues to do this. That understanding of rest and peace and joy and freedom in truth, like Tim talked about last week in a, in a moment of so much fake news and so much um, just uncertainty around truth that we can know and trust that all that God is and all that eternity will be and all that it is to process the uncertainties of life we can find in him and that he still says to us today, come to me all who are weary. And I can say that confidently, by the way, just as a quick detour, is that just a few verses later in the same passage where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Thomas is like, where are you going? And is there room for us? And and what is really happening? We have another passage where he says, "Um, I will pray, uh, and I will pray that the Father, to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. He tells them, even as I go and prepare a place for you, as things will be made new, And you can trust that in me, all that you've seen from me will lead you right to God and lead you right into the life of the ages and into eternal life. I'm also, added bonus, going to send the Holy Spirit to you, another one, a comforter to you that is here present with us. We believe, at least as Christians, here with us today. And that word, another, because I know it's not a good sermon from Andrew unless there's a little Greek study. There's two words to describe what he means when he says, I will give you another comforter. One word is the word alos, which means one of the very same kind and same character, nearly a duplicate. And then the second word in the Greek language that could be used to say the word another, like another kind, Um is, uh, means one of another kind or one of a different kind. So the word actually is heteros, where we get the word heterosexual, which of course describes someone who has sexual relations with a person of the opposite sex. The Greek word here in John 14 is that first word, alos. In other words, emphatically meaning, there were two options here, meaning that the Holy Spirit would be like Jesus in every way. It's as if. Jesus wanted the disciples to know that the Holy Spirit was just like him. We're told in John that the role of the Spirit is to remind you of the things that Jesus said. I say this just from a technical theological lens to say that thing that hopefully speaks to every heart, which is right now, here and now, you can know, hear, and walk with God in greater intimacy. He will lead you. He's given his comforter to walk you deeper and deeper into the ways of the Father. He is showing them the way and inviting them to enter in and enter in personally. You can have all the right ideas in your head without ever tasting the heart or tasting the reality of who God is. We are always being invited to engage in more deeply personal and all-encompassing ways says in John 15, we're called to abide in him. And it's that image of being grafted into the vine. When I grew up, I grew up in a, in a, in a very like modest house. It wasn't like crazy small, but it was, definitely would never be described as big. And I, I learned from, um, I, I think the first experience was the, the girl I was dating in high school. And then I began to notice all of her friends had this thing in their house that I definitely did not have in my house and had never seen a very foreign concept. I don't know if you grew up with one of these. It was called a formal living room. Uh, Yeah, let me explain if you're unfamiliar with this idea. You may have one now. That's great. Cheers to you. Formal living room is a space in your home that is not actually for living in. That's the first thing I learned about. Don't be, like, fooled by the name. It is for looking i remember like i don't know the deep consternation i had when i saw that people had actually dedicated a place in their home for no one you know anyway any of us who have children like you know somehow like i don't know anybody who like had kids (coughs) like smaller kids i'm trying to remember and they would like meander into their room they were just immediately Immediately, like, cut off and yelled at. The former living room was for looking. The perfect vacuum rose. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Pillows puffed up, colors all in one place. It's great. I think the reason that, honestly, people have these is because if you're like me, like you have little kids, you're like, imagine if there are a room that's just untouched and I could just go in and look at it and fall under the illusion that I have some control in my life. I get it. I'm in control. It must be cathartic. But our home growing up, and even my home now, it's like the idea of like having a room that you're not using is just like really just poor planning, not smart. But I think the formal living room makes a great metaphor for how we relate to God. We don't do this intentionally, I think, but we admire and we stand at a distance from God and we kind of know that he's present and he makes us feel better about ourselves. And, but we don't live with God. I don't know how that fleshes out for you. It's a hard line to kind of nail. But I found that to be true in seasons of my life. I think one of the reasons uh, is that the concept that, that God is to be admired, the reason why that comes so easily is because it is easy. We should honor God. He is indescribable and awesome. And, but to live with God, not just to describe him or ascend to some ideas about him, to live with him and engage him personally or even as the scriptures command us to do. It's a tough thing that this is a command, which is to enjoy him. Imagine, like, just hearing the voice of God being like, will you please enjoy me? Enjoy me. Rejoice in me. Smile in and with me. On our prayer calls on Tuesday, I've been doing this exercise every couple of weeks, which is just asking the, little, the, the prayer room on Zoom and just going, hey, what about God's character makes you smile? What about something God has done or who God is makes you smile? Maybe you've got to go back a ways, but what is it? Do that now for a second. Like, what about God makes you smile to enjoy and to rejoice in Him? My guess is that probably those moments were the Ikea couch moments of your faith. Right? I say that in that, like, you sit in an Ikea chair. You sit in that old, some of you have got that that recliner that's, like, got your whole body imprint in it because you come home from work and you just sit in it. That was my dad. Just sit in the recliner, didn't move, he swear he could trace his outline. It was furniture and living room and space that was meant to be lived in. To engage in. Again, this word abide in John fifteen comes up again and again. Stay and remain, it means to dwell. It means to continue. When Jesus says abide in me, it's like continue in my love. I think we often treat God like an expensive piece of furniture that chair that's not for sitting that's just for admiring but he invites us to see him to live with him a place where you actually abide to build disciplines and life with him in your daily ins and outs so John 14 Thomas wanted to know about the destination where are you going Everything's gotten really uncertain for the disciples. I thought this was going to be a revolution. I guess it's not going to be a revolution. It's going to be a different kind of revolution. Well, it's still a revolution. It's something. Like, what is going on? And he's like, been trying to prepare them for his death. There's a different way we're going to change the world. There's a different kind of kingdom that's going to break out. I'm not just coming for this moment, but for every moment after it and for generations after it, including this small little church in the middle of Providence in 2022. I'm coming also for them to get to the basic cores of the human need and who we need to be and what it means to be most alive and to join God in this this thing that is driven by love and not by power and control, this kingdom of God. I'm coming to show you a different way And, and all that uncertainty and not knowing and Thomas going like, what the heck? And Philip going, wait, do we really know the Father? It's in this moment that he says, I'm the way. And he takes them by the hand. He sends them a comforter to drive them the rest of the way forward. He says, follow me. Come with me. Stay with me. You have seen me. It's an invitation there to behold him. Keep looking upon me. This is why I spend nearly every morning... Going back to the Gospels and spending time in the Gospels just to learn all over again just how beautiful and mighty and glorious Jesus is and the Father is. And it's fascinating. I don't know if you know this, but the early Christians, what they were, do you know what they were known by? What they called themselves? Yeah, they called themselves the way. That's what they were known by oh, those folks, oh, those are folks of the way. Because part of the mission, the embodiment of that family was then to help other people, not just point and say, go over there, but to actually, no, 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 come, come alongside, let me show you the way to life. Let me show you who the way actually is. That embodiment and coming alongside is what God does for us day in and day out. And the invitation as we close this little three-week series of trying to keep our attention just focused on the beauty of God that we might find ourselves more aligned with God is to trust that God is still doing this and that he is inviting us to passionately and personally engage, to live with and walk alongside with. And that will probably mean making some adjustment today. That might even mean today, like for the first time, like coming down as we sing and just like surrendering again, like surrendering all over again, making room in your heart. Making room in your heart again. Making room for him to move, making room for him to open you up to greater beauty, to greater forgiveness, to greater grace. Let me take you by the hand and walk you there. This verse has been weaponized so many times to make uh, sort of Christianity feel almost arrogant. Are you saying your God is the only way, the truth, and the life? And quite simply, without getting into that whole thing as we end here, Jesus and the writers in the New Testament and the faithful church since there has simply been pointing out that when you survey the secular ways of thinking when you survey various faith traditions, if you, are, if you desire to be intellectually honest in every one of those traditions and systems and precepts and ways of thinking about the world, no one's coming for you. There's some directions and some ideas. Most of it is if you live up to this, then there'll be some sort of like divine bonus or cherry or eternal life. Or if you follow these like basic principles of living, if you hold fast to this vague, undefined notion of love or whatever else it may be, then you will. And those of us who are followers of Jesus know, well, the greatest distinction, the beauty of Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is not meant as a bat to bludgeon someone else's belief. It is simply meant to be a humble, honest bit of commentary on the fact that no one else is coming for you. And that truth is the thing that in every season of brokenness that I've gone through, every season of of whether something has been done to me or something that I've done to others, those seasons where I recognize like just how short of the glory of God I fall. You know, there's some seasons where like, yeah, we all fall short of the glory of God. And there's other seasons where you like, you feel the gap. You feel just how low, just how inadequate, just how disconnected. It's in those moments that I am overcome all over again with the mercy and beauty of God. It is in those moments that I find myself moved to greater grace and joy and peace and inclusion and love for the person who is committing the sin against me. It is that reality that that, that Christ is coming for me and showing me the way that moves me to love my enemies and lay down my life for those that are hurting and oppressed and broken. Anybody amen? Anyone know that feeling? I hear that. He's the way. The truth and the life. He's the way. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come to us and shown us what the Father is like and that you didn't stop there. Here's the directions. Good luck to you. That he sent his comforter to walk with us and alongside us. As the Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak now to my brothers and sisters, especially to those that were like, I was expecting, you know, something something I didn't know this morning. That would have been nice. God, we are so um, obsessed with more information. And we should realize at this point that more information simply just makes us more and more bloated. We're like greedy for more information. And then we just sort of throw it all up on Sunday night and then starve ourselves the rest of the week. Lord Jesus Christ, would you, with the beauty and power of beholding the fact that that you come for us. You come to show us the way that you in your graciousness would have prepared a room and a place for us. God, would that not cause us to move into apathy, but in greater just passion to live with you? God, might we not just stare upon the, like the room, <laughs> the formal living room, but may we come and take up residence with you. I pray now, right now that you would just like, convict folks around their, the media they're consuming or the time that they're spending or the habits that they formed. That this might be a week carved out to behold you in greater, more beautiful ways. And not to even rush ahead of this moment, but right here, right now, as we sing again, like I will make room for you. I will surrender to you. And as we sing of Christ, our firm foundation, that we might get swept up all over again in the beauty of who you are. Lord Jesus, we receive, Holy Spirit, we receive the truth that you take us by the hand and lead us to the Father and lead us to life and the life of the ages. That your way is better. That your way is better. That your way is better. I want to invite you to take hold of the bread and the cup. If you didn't receive one when you came in, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring it to you. This is such a beautiful example that we, um, we do almost nearly every week of Jesus coming alongside us, Jesus coming to us. The symbol of the bread and the cup reminds us every week that the God of the universe, that the truth behind every other truth is love embodied and moving toward us. And so we remember Jesus with those same disciples that he tells are the way, the truth, and the life. He's in the upper room with them. And again, they're having this moment of confusion. Who who are you? What are you doing again? Where are you going? And he says, look, every time you come to this meal, I want you to remember me as a foreshadow of what he's about to do on the cross. He takes the bread. He says, this is my body. Just given for you. I've come to you, laid my life down for you. Do this, eat this, and remember in remembrance of me. Church, let us eat. After the supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Because of what I am doing, the way I'm breaking myself open and pouring myself out, there is a whole new way to relate to me, the Holy Spirit coming. There is a covenant of grace you sit in now. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, And so in these last few minutes together, i want to use this tired phrase in our church, but i want to use it again. I wanna invite us to lean in. Three minutes. Let us lean in together. There are people up front who are gonna be standing across this front fence here who would love to pray with you. Maybe for you, as we sing, like, I surrender all, As we sing, I will make room for you. You need to come forward and let something go that is keeping you from beholding God. You need to come forward as an act of like letting Jesus take you by the hand. You've resisted. You've been staring at him from a distance. Or maybe there's just something else in your life today that you need to let go of. You need to surrender and lay down at his feet that you may pick up the glorious forgiveness and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to urge you and encourage you, climb over that person awkwardly, make it happen. Most people got their eyes closed anyway. Come forward, receive prayer, or come forward and just sit. Or come forward and just stand. I'd like to come forward and just stand with my palms open just to receive and let someone just simply bless me. This isn't like time for a counseling session necessarily, but to come forward and for everyone else, let, let, let us just behold the beauty of God in this moment as we sing. And do you write? says, God has taken us utterly seriously. God has taken us utterly seriously. How can we not do the same with him? How can we not do the same with him? Church, let us stand and sing. Let us come forward and kneel. Let us pray together as we close our time.